Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, I chat to director Phila Lloyd about her new Irish set movie, Herself, and also about directing Meryl Streep and Mamma Mia. Karen Parsons, a.k.a. Hilary Banks in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, talks to me about her new movie, Sweet Thing, and a lot more besides. Plus, Mark Ryle casts his eye over the big new release of the week, Respect, the Aretha Franklin biopic. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email us, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app, powered by Go Loud, and it's on the radio on Saturdays at 6pm here on Newstalk. If you're listening on the radio this week, it's on at 8pm due to the All-Ireland Final. Can't really argue with that. Now, good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. I usually start by playing a clip of whatever TV show I've been watching to discuss with you. I don't want to play a clip this week because I've been watching Turning Point, 9-11 and the War on Terror. And I think maybe you've heard enough clips of that tragedy, which is 20 years old this very weekend. This documentary, Turning Point, 9-11, is a five-parter. And it examines the 9-11 attacks, not just the remarkable, and it is pretty remarkable, footage, and, you know, first-person testimony of survivors to camera. It has all that, but it also has a kind of history lesson in the mistakes and failures that the U.S. government made along the way. It really traces where al-Qaeda came from, and it can all, it seems to me, based on this documentary, been traced back to the, the Russian invasion of Afghanistan in 1989 and what happened after that. And this documentary, I suppose, starts on 9-11, goes back there and goes all the way up to the present day, including the war on terror, Guantanamo, all that stuff is in there. You know, I don't know if you feel the same, but, you know, even to this day, when you watch footage of 9-11, there's still something shockingly unexpected about it, even though you know quite well what's going to happen. And in this documentary, you have exactly the same feeling. It's just as upsetting, if not more so. I think this is a good piece of historical documentary making. It's called Turning Point 9-11 and the War on Terror. Uh, And I suppose it's fitting that we should be talking about it this weekend. I always remember the morning of 9-11. I was in Canada for six months and I remember ringing my mother because I had told her the week before I was thinking about going to New York. Now, you know, I was only in my mid-twenties. I couldn't organize a lot of stuff. So it was unlikely I was going to go that way. But I'll always remember having to get to the phone to tell her I hadn't left Toronto. Anyway, turning point, 9-11, the war on terror, now streaming on Netflix. Now, it's a grim uh, list of TV I'm giving you this week. But I do want to mention on RTE on Monday, the first part of The Killing of Father Niall Malloy was on. And... You may remember this case back in 1985. I remember it as a kid. A priest, Father Malloy, was found dead in a bedroom of a couple and someone was charged and then the whole case fell apart. And, you know, it's funny. We watch a lot of true crime documentaries. We talk about them on this show a lot on Netflix and Amazon and all sorts of places where you see them. And we have a sense of, you know, what a true crime documentary is. And, you know, this one in RTE... It's If you can say it about something that's a true crime documentary, it's nice to see just a simple presentation of the facts and talking to the people involved. And it's not all fast paced. It's a straight ahead telling of what happened so far and the bizarre case and and the fact that so little uh, has come of it. I thought it was a really good piece of documentary making. And, you know, we don't we don't necessarily mention RTE on this show as, as much as we should. Terrestrial TV and, and the killing of Father Niall Malloy, although although a sad watch, is is a compelling watch and, and a, as I say, a good piece of documentary making. So I will certainly be tuning in for the second part of that on RT1 next Monday night at 9.35. Of course, the first one is up on the player for you to watch. Now, really quickly, I just want to mention last week I was telling you about Only Murders in the Building on Disney Plus. Well, it's on their Star Channel on Disney Plus and it's dropping every week. It's Steve Martin, Selena Gomez and Martin Short living in this fancy building in New York and 
they stumble across a murder in their building and they decide to make a podcast about it. I was kind of semi-raving about it last week, saying even though it was about a murder, it's fiction, it's kind of gentle TV. You know, sometimes people say to me, oh, well, you only watch two or three episodes and you told us to watch it. Well, I thankfully had screeners of this and I watched the entire thing with my wife over the course of the weekend. They're only 30 minutes and it is brilliant. It is just a delight, you know. Uh, everything I said last week about how great it is to see Steve Martin and Martin Short in action together and Selena Gomez with them as, as kind of the third wheel in their pairing holds through right up until the end and it's wide open for a second series. So keep watching it. Only Murders in the Building on Disney+. Plus. It's great. And now we turn to this week's new releases. And the big new release of the week is undoubtedly Respect, the biopic of Aretha Franklin, where Jennifer Hudson plays Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul. We go now to the King of Screen Time, Mark Ryle. How are you, sir? TCB, John. I don't know what that means. Soccer to me. Ah, very. Oh, yeah, I get it now. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Let's. I'll, I'll give you the radio equivalent of a soccer to me then. So, Respect, tell our listeners what's going on here. Uh, respect is, yeah, Aretha Franklin is getting the biopic treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, it kicks off in Detroit in 1952, where Re, the 10-year-old with the 30-year-old voice, is beguiling a house party full of adults with her, her prodigious talent. And then it ends in 1972 with uh, Miss Franklin recording the gospel album Amazing Grace. And a lot happens over the next uh, two hours and 20 minutes. Um, from being raped and pregnant at 12 through um, unsuccessful years at Columbia, singing jazz standards, and then Jerry Wexler co- coaxing her to Atlantic Records and the, the shift to soul and, you know, eventual success. Yes, well, that's a very good short synopsis of it. That's exactly what happens. Now, we should say, like most rock biopics, she, and you've kind of alluded to it, why wouldn't she be? She's beset by demons, the early death of her mother, a serious sexual assault, pregnant at 12. Uh, So a, a rough life. The demons follow her through the success. And in a way, it's unsurprising, you know, script writing and, and storytelling in that it follows a kind of narrative arc we've seen before in a lot of rock biopics i think it's fair to say many 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 times um yeah i think it glosses over a lot of of you know unpalatable stuff Mm -hmm. which is is a shame um it's it does a i'll start off by there's a it started the party scene at the beginning it, it takes off one of my many biopic pet hates, which is actors introducing their characters by name in order to signpost in flashing lights who they are playing. Uh, Mary J. Blige says something like, hey, it's me, Dinah Washington. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, um, uh, Sam Cooke and Smokey Robinson, I think they, they may as well have been wearing name tags. Um, I am going to be charitable and say that this is cliched because Aretha Franklin lived and wrote the cliché. But um, there is no getting around the fact that I have seen this movie me- before many, many times over. And the thing is that the life of every musician is not identical, but the movies made about those lives are identical. Yeah. And the only things that change are the songs and the drugs. <laughs> to an extent, I go along with you. You know, I, I was saying earlier in the week, and you and I have discussed this, you know, the the standard is... Child is born, prodigious talent, something horrific happens. Child becomes famous with her prodigious talent. The demons of that horror come back to haunt him or her. He or she overcomes that horror and it tends to end in some triumphant gig or record sales or Johnny Cash playing in a prison, for instance. So this very much follows that type. I was just about to read out the five tenets of the musical biopic, which I've <laughs> come up with, but you've just summed them up in a nutshell. The only thing I would I would change is the the ending, which is freeze to credits with an informative PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, that's in this as well. <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah. Um, no. Th- I'll, what's the good about this is there's a there's a fantastic vibrancy to the musical sequences. Yes. Um, particularly the the recording sessions with the the muscle muscles shoals rhythm section and um, uh, Aretha Franklin arranging I Le- never loved a man. Um, there's 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 an unforced and organic look and feel to those scenes, and they don't come off as 
artificial and manufactured. Now, of course, I know that they are artificial and manufactured, but I didn't. I wasn't left with the impression that I was being hoodwinked. And I think a lot of that down is is down to Jennifer Hudson because she's an authentic performer and she has got uh, one hell of a set of pipes. Um, but when the music stops. Uh, that vibrancy is missing in the sizable chunks of the movie that are devoted to Franklin's offstage persona. And I think the contrast between those two halves is is stark. So let's just drill down a bit into that. You said some of the unpalatable aspects of her life weren't covered as much as they should be. And you said that was unfortunate. So because one of the things I felt was that, and let's not forget, this is a life. These things happened to a woman. So we don't want to, we don't want to be pithy about them or anything like that. No, 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 no. But one of the things that didn't work for me and a lot did because Jennifer Hudson acting, but particularly when she's singing is immense and, Mm. and she did such a great job, but that her interior life, Aretha Franklin's, that the demons weren't explored a bit more. Like they referred to the demons, but we didn't really hear her talk about them that much, or there wasn't much, there wasn't much of a drill down into those. I, I fully agree. Um, I think the script is very, very slight and it, it avoids dealing with any heavy emotional stuff like it's it's allergic to it. Um, and respect never really digs into the, the compelling aspects of Franklin's persona. And it doesn't have any deep observations that might lead to somewhere unpleasant and, you know, interesting. And there's a lot of emotional turmoil shorthand here in terms of Franklin's character. Mm -hmm. And we know that she's got demons. And we know this because she never shuts up about them. I got a demon, she says. And somebody else says, I can't talk to you when that demon takes over. It's like it's repeated ad ad nauseum. And it's very, very much um, tell, don't show. Yes. That said, there this terrible thing that happens to her, I did like the way, if such a thing can be subtly handled, I also liked the way the death of her mother and her parents' fracture was handled. Mm. I didn't see enough of how that affected her later in life, but I, I did like how that was handled. No, I I, I know what you're talking about. I, I, it's kind of just forgotten about. There's, uh, I think there was an interesting, there's not much made of, the relationship with her father, who's uh, played by Forrest, Forrest Whitaker. Whitaker. Yeah. And he's certainly a presence. He, he's kind of, I don't know if he's, he's a very, I don't, there's, there's, there's stuff missing there. Um, and I, I think, was surprised by his performance because I love him. Uh, previous yeah. guest on this show, as I always like to say, but it, it's like there wasn't enough for him to do or something. He was playing exactly, yeah. like a, a religious preacher, but almost a stage father religious preacher. It was it was kind of stage father 101 kind of. Yeah, thing. he was there and he was present, but there wasn't a hell of a lot done with the with his character, you know? And I yeah. think there, there, it was a missed opportunity to uh, 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 explore that relationship, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think the last 40 minutes in particular, they just they just seem to aimlessly shuffle towards the, you know, the inevitable triumphant conclusion it's it's to be fair to Hudson um the 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 weak script doesn't give her much to work with but I think I have to say regardless of that I think for me her performance is was still very um insipid and lackluster and she never really seems to be at ease with the non-singing aspects that the role required yeah I, I I I I didn't quite find that but we're in agreement that the singing was sensational you see here's the the slight caveat to it and despite what I've been saying all those list of tropes and tenets of a biopic were there, and that should make this, in a way, a poor rendering or a, a poor movie. But once you accept that this is a standard rock biopic, and I'm very fond of a rock biopic, I I, I enjoyed it nonetheless because of the music, and I, I was so predictable. I kind of knew what was going to happen, but I still enjoyed it because of the singing and, albeit the weak storytelling, there was enough in her life because it was a fascinating life and where she ended up from where she came from. And it didn't, in fairness to it, it didn't have the standard poverty stricken childhood, which you nearly assume from an African-American singer coming up in the forties and fifties and sixties, like she was from a pretty wealthy family. So even though it was terribly cliched and the story telling wasn't particularly imaginative and there was no huge flourishes, I still liked it up to a certain point, I have to say. Mm. I think um, I think you would probably enjoy this more if you weren't an Aretha Franklin fan. Um, 
And mm. I think if you are, regardless of who, who we're talking about, I think give me a good documentary any day of the week. Um, but yeah, it's just, I've, I've seen it. I've seen this so many times before and it now, did nothing to distinguish itself. Here's the thing I want to say to you. Uh, I'm starting to think Mark Maron can just play Mark Maron in movies. <laughs> Three. I mean, he plays which, Jerry Wexler, the record which, executive, which is fine. You know, I mean, he's it's an awful lot better. He's he's in more auspicious surroundings than the the David Bowie biopic. But it was the same character in the in the David well, Bowie he biopic. Playing, yeah, he was, he was playing Mark Maron. Yeah, and the time before that, I'd seen him in Joker. Wasn't that oh, it? Yeah. And he's, what he's was he, he, he was playing Mark Maron. He was playing like a TV executive, you know, they get him to play like music and TV executives and he just comes on and going, gee, I don't know. He doesn't, he, uh, he doesn't disappear into the role. <laughs> no, he certainly doesn't. But anyway, that's a small thing. I did think though, finally, uh, yeah. that Marlon Waynes, who played her husband of the, of the Waynes family acting dynasty, I thought he was good as the kind of street angel house devil. Mm, yeah, no. I, 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 yeah, he was okay. It, it does. I think the whole thing is a very, and I'm talking about Marlon Wayans here as well. The whole thing is a very um, televisual feel to us, and we've mm. gotten used to this idea of you know long form TV is the place for heavy emotional stuff. But this is, I think, this is a throwback to you know, it's televisual before the the, the Renaissance. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Television before the Renaissance. Exactly. In the uh, cinema, <laughs> and this is from a Renaissance man. So you want to take you want to take note, listeners. So what would you say, stars wise? Uh, I'm going to give it a two because I think the best thing you can say about it is that it will make you dig out your old Aretha Franklin records. Mm. I'm going to give it a three because I completely agree with pretty much everything you said, apart from maybe Jennifer Hudson's acting, and I accept all the limitations, but I still enjoyed it because it was solid and safe within the confines of a rock biopic. So mm. I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Yeah. Can I just say, incidentally, two years ago, they released the concert footage. It was kind of a documentary of That's her right, yeah, Amazing yeah. Grace, and it is spine-tingling as, a, as yeah. a live concert performance. You should watch that, possibly over and above the movie Respect. No, there's no possibly about it. Okay. Mark, I have nothing but respect for you. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. We'll do it next week. Thanks, John. Give me just a little bit 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 One more time Just a little bit Go a third below, Carolyn. Just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Now that's a little clip of respect. And you heard Jennifer Hudson there figuring out her version of respect. And I suppose the music really is the best thing about the movie. I'm, as I say, I'm, I'm giving it a, a solid three, despite my reservations about it. Jennifer Hudson is, is great being Aretha Franklin, and particularly when she's singing. Up next, director Phila Lloyd talks to me about her new Irish set movie herself, as well as directing Meryl Streep and Mamma Mia and the Iron Lady. Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time. This is News Talks TV and Movie Show. I'm John Fardy. If you're listening on the radio this week, we're on at 8pm because of the All-Ireland Final. Now, take a listen to this. It's land, Sandra, going to waste. Use it. Build a house for you and your girls. Dr. Why would you do this? Your mother was far more than a cleaner to me. She was a friend. She helped me through some bloody awful times. I want to give you the land 
and lend you the money to build your house. Now this is mad. You can't. I can. You can pay me back over as many years as, as we decide. What do you say? <laughs> is that a yes? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now that's a clip of Claire Dunn in a movie she co-wrote and stars in called Herself, which is in cinemas from this Friday. Claire Dunn plays a woman who's struggling in life to mind her children, basically, against her brutal husband, who she's in a very abusive relationship with. And she leaves and she goes to live in a hotel. And in a bid to get on the property ladder, she decides that she's going to attempt to build her own house. And you just heard there the woman she cleans the house of offering her a piece of land in which to build this house. And what's really intriguing about this movie is that on the one hand, it's quite dark and it's a real clever study of an abusive relationship between a man and a woman and a woman trying to protect herself and her children. It's quite hard to watch at times, but it's brilliantly acted. But on the other hand, you have this kind of very optimistic story about someone taking all the crap in her life and turning it around and trying to build a house. And she does so with friends, with a builder she vaguely knows. So I like the two-pronged approach of the movie. And it is saying something, obviously, about domestic violence, but also about the catastrophe that is the housing situation in Ireland but there is hope in it as well Claire Dunn is excellent in it now it was directed by Phyllida Lloyd who directed things like Mamma Mia and The Iron Lady with Meryl Streep she was in TV and a theatre director she's had a fascinating career and I caught up with her earlier in the week to talk about herself herself the movie but we did also talk about herself as well have a listen to this so let, let me ask you at the start, how did this come to you? Because it, it, now I may be wrong, but it seemed possibly like an incongruous choice, this smallish Irish movie, given what you've done in the past. I know you were in, you know, TV and theatre before movies came along, but how did this, how did you get involved in essence? Yeah, so I was working with Claire Dunn, who wrote and stars in the film, um, and Harriet Walter, um, with an all-female company performing Shakespeare plays set in women's prisons. And we'd been working together for about five years. We were very preoccupied by the number of women we met who started their journey into prison against a background of domestic violence in childhood. So it was very much um, the women we were meeting and what we were talking about. And I'd wanted to do a low-budget film for a long time. I felt it would allow me to kind of bring this kind of work that I was doing in the theatre more into line with the screen work. And then Claire just had this experience of, of a friend who became homeless in Dublin. Her, her landlord had um, evicted her, what he wanted to sell the property. She was trying to find somewhere to live with two small kids. There was literally nowhere for her to go. And Claire was just so outraged by this situation that she just sat down and started writing the film and at first I wasn't going to do it I didn't think I was really I didn't think I knew the landscape of Dublin enough okay. um, but then gradually over the years I just got completely sucked into the whole project yeah what I you know it sounds like a strange thing to say what I like about it when considering you know it's, it's quite dark in places but there throughout the whole of it there is this and there is joy as well and lots of it but there is this con I felt this constant fear or anxiety that her husband was going to break in at any point I mean metaphorically and you know literally uh into the house and ha have people pointed that out to you are you aware of that that there is this bogeyman constantly waiting and there's a tension to the film because of that the, the film is on some level a thriller. It takes mm. place after Sandra has um, run from her abusive partner. And the question throughout the, that the audience are going to be asking throughout the film is, is she going to get away from him? Yeah. Um, and I think it's full of this roller coaster of 
she makes these advances, she has success, and then, oh my God, here he comes. And it works on, when I read the screenplay festival, I thought, yeah, it's full of this kind of light and dark, this ups of her triumphs, and then this sense of impending um, menace, really. Mm. And, you know, one thing I found was, I, I I was thinking about my own house a lot. I, I, I own a house. I'm lucky. I, I mean, well, the bank own it, as you well know. But you know what I mean? My family yeah. and all are under one roof. And after I watched the movie, you know, I was looking around going, God, it's great. I have my own house. Have people commented on that to you? Like, it, it sounds like maybe a strange takeaway, but it, it reminds us how lucky we all are, those of us who are lucky enough to have our own homes. Well, I just think, you know, what's happened, this film was, was we first showed it to an audience just before the pandemic hit. But since, you know, over the last 20 months or whatever it is, I think we've all come to feel, thank God I've got a roof over my head or thank God I've got a tiny little bit of green space or whatever it is. But how profoundly we've come to feel the difference that divides us, you know, those who feel safe in their homes and those who don't. And I think the film is really what what Claire's doing is she's talking to both, she's talking to all of us, to those who feel safe in their homes. I think she's saying, listen out, you know, what's going on around you? What kind of neighbour are you? Could you be part of a community? Um, You know, is there a neighbour who might be looking vulnerable? Have you noticed? And then she's speaking directly to people who are in this situation and sort of, I guess, trying to give them some hope and inspiration that if they pick up the phone to a helpline to women's aid whatever it is maybe that's the first step towards a change Um, and that's what I really felt um, felt when I first read it you know there's a phrase that you rarely hear in any movies let alone Irish ones and Conleth Hill's character talks about something called metal uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly yeah. and I've, I've heard it before because my certain members of my family are from the Aran Islands which is a group of islands off the west coast of Ireland and and that's still very much a part of life there your car breaks down they will pick you up had you come across this phrase before you'd read the script had you been aware of that because it's actually a big part of the movie when you sit back and think about it I really hadn't. So me kind of assuring you that you're pronouncing it correctly was <laughs> a, a nervous attack from across the pond. Um, I hadn't heard of it. We won't tell I, anyone, okay? Okay. I find it an incredibly moving idea. Mm. And I think it's something, again, that the this last year has, has really um, brought home is, you know, how much we need our neighbours' help. Um, and... So I know it's a very um, ancient concept in Ireland, but it's something that really, I think, needs sort of refreshing across the globe. Yeah, absolutely. Can I just ask you something you said at the start of the show that you came across, you were involved with Claire from these workshops you did in female prisons where you were doing Shakespeare productions. How did that come about? Yeah, so we were just sort of having a moment of... um, there were two the report had come out saying you know there are there are two men for every woman working in british theater and i was mm. asked to do a production in this theater and i thought oh sod this i'm gonna give all the jobs to girls just just for the crack and <laughs> um chose you know maybe one of the most macho plays superficially or, or appears to be one of the most macho plays julius caesar by shakespeare and cast claire dunn as one of the well two of the leading roles actually and we decided, you know, just to try and get the audience to try to believe what was going on, that these women were as obsessed with freedom and justice and would take up arms to slaughter in cold blood. Um, we we set it in a in a in a prison. And it was about the mission of the whole production really was to try to say who has access to, you know, the crown jewels of our culture and who might have access to it and whose voices go unheard and it was yeah it was a, a sort of a social mission um to mm. give sort of voice to the voiceless okay well, well fair play to you 
Tell me this, and a world away from what we've been just talking about is a small movie I'm sure you've been asked about once or twice before called Mamma Mia. Uh, and I'm I'm just wondering, was that a head-turning moment in your life when it became so successful? You were a successful theatre director, you've been in TV, but, you know, Mamma Mia, you know, the clues in the name, it was massive. And I've read eye-watering figures about how much money it's made and its sales and all that stuff. And I'm not asking about the money or anything, but, but just the level of recognition to be the director of that movie was it unsettling almost its level of success I mean you know I would have been really lucky that the stage show was sort of like a kind of wildfire across the globe um I don't know how many countries we've done it in but literally it's played in you know China Japan Korea all over the planet and it somehow seems to really speak to audiences and so I knew what a kind of global phenomenon it was. I never expected I was going to be asked to direct the film. And that was a kind of, oh, my God, moment. It was a bit of a Buddhist moment, actually, because I just got to the point where I had totally accepted that I would not be the director when I was asked, you know, and they say when you when you let something go, yeah. it to you. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I wasn't really thinking is it going to be a hit or not? I just somehow wanted that same theatre audience, the millions across the planet. I didn't want them to feel that they'd been let down by the film because I think sometimes it's hard to make something transition from stage. It doesn't always work going from stage to screen. Um, but we were lucky, not just with the cast, who were obviously absolutely incredible, but that the story was sort of it really lent itself to cinema because it was all set on the Greek island and, you know, it just somehow exploded onto the screen in a, in a, um, in a really natural way. Yeah, it, it certainly did. And tell me this, just dovetailing with that, obviously Meryl Streep was in that and then you directed her in uh, The Iron Lady. I, I'm just wondering, you know, she's one of those actresses, you know, you almost mention it in hushed tones that she's, you know, I don't know, she changes the molecules nearly when she walks into a room. That That's the way it seems. And, you know, you run out of adjectives. Just she can literally seemingly do anything. Is it a, is it a pleasure to direct someone that good? Absolutely. I mean, I you know, we need another several podcasts for me to really <laughs> talk about that because it's a life-changing experience working with her. And you're right. She does change the, the the molecules in the room and I think it's because she knows that how you work is as influential as the work you make and so it sets the tone for an entire you know so you've got 200 people on a film crew and the first assistant will say to everybody on the set you know are you ready and everybody looks like oh yeah yeah and um, all the different departments. And he'll say, no, I'm asking you again. And for the final time, are you ready? Because I'm going to call Meryl. And when I call her to the set, she will come. So by God, you better be ready. And, you know, it's that level of sort of the little baby assistant would go to her trailer and say, Meryl, they're ready for you on the set. And she would get up and it didn't matter what she was doing or who she was on the phone to. She would put the phone down, get up and walk straight to the unit. And somehow that sense of um, understanding, a sort of deep understanding of what we're all part of and how time is money. And I mean, that, these are just details, but somehow she does, she does change the world with her every action. And, you know, she changed my world, taught me so much. It was a complete joy to work with her. And it's like having the most amazing I don't know, in, in sort of racehorse or car terms, you know, it's like having the greatest, greatest ride of your life because whatever you want to try to do, she's up for it. Um, wow. Wow. So, she, you know, she will show you what she, she can do and what her instincts are about a scene. Yeah. And when she's sort of given you her, all her ideas, she'll then ask you, you know, is there anything else you want? And so if there's something you really do want, you, tr you know, and you can explain it clearly, there's no, you know, she can do, as you say, literally anything. Yeah. She's the Lamborghini of actresses, yes. I guess. She uh, really is. And she's, you know, she's the first to arrive and the last to leave. And yeah. um, she 
work so so hard well listen i'm sure she got stuff from you as well uh she'd speak highly of you tell me this finally then you know i mentioned all that you've done and herself being a kind of you know a smaller piece than things you've done in the past what what's next for you Gosh. Um, well, actually, this minute, I'm sort of I've got suitcases exploding all over the floor. I'm about to go to New York to remount the musical about Tina Turner that I made there before the pandemic. All the actors have been waiting you know, all this time to get back on the stage and do it. And so that's going to be like a huge, huge adventure. Oh, gosh, it certainly is. Well, listen, I, I better let you pack and, and maybe down the line we'll talk Tina Turner. In the meantime, I will be telling people from the 10th of September to go and see herself in cinemas. It's lovely to be able to say that again in cinemas. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, John. Yes. Phyllida Lloyd there talking to me about her new Irish set movie, Herself, starring Claire Dome, which is on general release this Friday, the 10th of September. And as I mentioned at the start, it's a dark and also sunny movie in some ways. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. It's well worth a watch. Up next, Karen Parsons, a.k.a. Hilary Banks from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on her new movie, Sweet Thing. Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy. We're coming to you on the radio this week at the slightly later time of 8pm. Now Sweet Thing is a new, I was going to say sweet movie. It's sweet in places, but it's a new movie. And it tells of a teenager played by Lana Rockwell, a 15-year-old girl who fantasizes about Billie Holiday as a sort of fairy godmother. And her younger brother, Nico, played by Nico Rockwell, their brother and sisters. And they're the children of separated parents. The well-known actor, Will Payton, plays their father, who's a drunk. Uh, he's a loving father, but he's a drunk. He's struggling working as a Christmas Santa. Their mother, played by Karen Parsons, who was Hilary Banks in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, has kind of left them to their own devices and she's hooked up with a new boyfriend who's really not very nice to them. The kids are struggling between these two parents. They go off to stay with their mother and they really don't like her new boyfriend for very obvious reasons. And they kind of cut adrift. They meet another pal around their same age called Malik, who's also adrift from his own home life. And they kind of escape and go off on an adventure kind of across Massachusetts, where the film is based, crossing paths with all sorts of, I guess, strange American eccentrics, good guys, bad guys, good women, bad women. It's directed by a man called Alexandre Rockwell, who was kind of, I suppose, the darling of 90s indie cinema. He did a movie that I absolutely adore from the 90s with Steve Buscemi called In the Soup. And he, this movie, Sweet Thing, has a real indie, dreamy flavour about it. It's sometimes quite heavy because the kids are being mistreated, but there's also a dreamy, ephemeral quality to it where the lead character, Billy, is constantly thinking about Billy Holiday and, and the Van Morrison song, Sweet Thing, is used to great effect. It's a really interesting movie, a very indie kind of vibe to it. Quentin Tarantino has said it's one of the best movies he's seen in years. High praise indeed. Now, as I mentioned, Karen Parsons plays the mother in Sweet Thing. Karen Parsons was famously Hilary Banks in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I should also mention that Karen's married to the director and her two children actually play the leads in the movie. And I got to talk to her about Sweet Thing and, of course, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So, Karen, lovely to talk to you. I was just saying to you beforehand, this really is a family affair. You're being directed by your husband, who incidentally, and I know it's about you and not him, is the director of one of my favorite movies of all time called In the Soup. More of that for another day. But also your two children play yeah. the leads in it. Is, it. is it wonderful to work with them? Or is it, you know, you bring family baggage to the set every day? Yeah, I was really shocked at how much I did not see the family baggage. Yeah. I have to, I mean, not saying it didn't exist. I had a smaller role, so... I wasn't on the set all the time. I wasn't mm. on the set that often. Um, but I, you know, I, my kids were amazing. They got up and as much as they, you might, you know, battle with their dad outside of the film, on set, um, 
my daughter, my teeth, I think that that's his most fierce, you know, opposition <laughs> all the time. Like, the two of them, nothing like that. They are, they work so well together. Um, she was completely respectful. You know, she was strangely up on time every morning. She had to get up sometimes <laughs> at five in the morning. I don't know how, what, I mean, I don't know what got into her and why she can't carry that over into other areas of her life, but that's a different subject. Yeah. Um, but she, uh, she was phenomenal and she always knew her stuff and showed up. And like I said, she was respectful and she really listened and, and tried to do her best to take his direction instead of fighting him. And same with my son. My son showed up, you know, having a great time. He was funny though, because he would say, he would do think my son was, I think like 12 or 11 or 12 when, when they shot it. And he would say, you know, dad, I think you're working me too hard. I think I need a break. And they'd go, okay, and action. He'd hit his mark. He'd do, he'd know his lines. He'd do his, you know, all of his character stuff and all the emotional beats and everything and cut. So dad, like I said, I really think that I should get out of here and I need to, you know, I need to take a break. And you know, he'd do that to his dad on the side. Yeah. And, and Alex would just kind of laugh him off because he was not done yet, but he was total professional. As soon as they said action, hundred percent pro. So yeah. they were, and with me, I had a great time acting with them and even being directed by my husband, which okay. I was a little nervous about going into. I can imagine. Yeah. We worked together once before early in our relationship before we were married and had children. And, um, and I remember having an incident where I, after rehearsing a scene with all the actors, I said, um, Alex, um, Alex, 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 I have a question. And he was like, not right now, Karen, I'm trying to direct the film. You know, he like shut me yeah. up because he had to go on to talk to the DP about something. And I was like, I'm one of your actors. You forgot. <laughs> you know, he was forgetting that I was, I was not just Karen, like coming over here, like, hey, honey. He's like, no, I'm an actor that has a question about the scene. So I was thinking, okay, you know, what's this going to be like? And it was, it was great. I loved working with him. So talking of your character, you play the mother to these two children. And, you know, I'm wondering what you think of her as a character because, you know, she's, uh, she doesn't, it seems at times have the best interests of her children at heart. Now, I don't want to give any spoilers, but you know, there may be some redemption as it goes on. What was your sense of her when you read it? You know, it's a story. And this is one element of the story that helps to mm. tell the story of these children and their journey. And, and so that's what this mother character is there for. And, um, you know, she's not a lovely person by any stretch of the imagination, um, but that was important. It was an important element in it. And uh, it was weird to play. I had fun doing it with my daughter. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was a little weird, but. It... So did you say things to her like, you think I'm a bad mother in real life, but at least I'm not like this. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm not like anything like this. Right. <laughs> right. Um, it was fun. And it was funny because I was thinking, I recently, I was realizing that, you know, if I had acted with any other person, some of the, the, the nastier scenes um, with another actor, who knows, I may not have been able to be quite as icky because mm -hmm. um with my own daughter if I didn't go Galana's really sharp and and we are she and I are very close if I didn't go there I would see it in her eyes right okay she'd be I'd be you know the audience might not see it but I'd yeah. see it and I'd see her eyes going that's all you got really wow. and to go there you to bring uh, your a game for your daughter I did because she's yeah. a she's a tough one Billie Holiday is obviously this character in the movie and uh, it, it's who your daughter's character, you know, I was going to say fantasizes about, but is almost this protector that maybe the mother isn't and should be. But musically, there's also a wonderful Irish connection. Even the title is this great Van Morrison song, Sweet Thing. And I'm a big Van Morrison fan. And, yeah. you know, I've heard all the songs all my life. It's it's part of being Irish they're on all the time but the use of that song throughout the movie is I'm even getting shivers I just thinking did about too. It. it's absolutely <laughs> gorgeous I'm just wondering and maybe this was you know outside of your remit but did Van Morrison agree to have a song used I mean yeah. he, he tends to be quite protective of that type of stuff yes all okay. true good I mean and it's <laughs> and it, it, it isn't it remarkable I mean my husband is no joke. He sets his sights high and he's like, no, that's where I'm going. I mean, it's, it's Van Morrison. It's like, it had to be Van Morrison. It was so important to him. Like the same way that you were affected by it, he knew in his heart how important this was. And he really, 
um, pushed and pushed until he could reach him, which was not easy yeah. and get it to him and, um, and have it approved, <laughs> which was just, you know, wild. So, um, yeah, it was really great. And it's yeah. such, it is beautifully used in the film. Yeah. And it's used in many ways. It's not just fans singing it just for listeners. It's, it's all sorts yeah. of takes on it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, the movie has this really dreamy, quality it like it's very sad at times but it's also like ephemeral and there's these musical interludes and after I watched it I was reading a bit about it and apparently Quentin Tarantino was equally affected by it and is raving yeah. about it to anyone who listened that must be great for you guys it is great it it's um it's definitely I mean, this is somebody who's, who appreciates film mm. who sees who's he sees so much film mm. and um so yeah that was really nice yeah. It was really, I think, I mean, we're, for my daughter, because he said some, some things specifically about my daughter as well that I thought um, was really interesting. Like for her, I don't think she can quite what, what did know, he wrap say? her head around. I, I don't remember exactly, but he talked about just about how amazing an actress she was. And, and um, I don't know if she can really wrap her head around that, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's, it's, it's, you know, she's, she's 18. She's not really a kid anymore. Yeah. But um, but still to get praise from that level of of filmmaker, I think somebody who she whose films she really admires, too, um, I think it's kind of hard for her to even wrap her head around. But yeah, but yeah, it was it was nice to get that. It's nice to have anybody, um, but especially people who really appreciate film, look at this with that kind of appreciation and. Yeah, and, uh, understanding. Listen, I have to really quickly ask you about the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Mm -hmm. uh, you've never done an interview where it hasn't come up, I'm sure. So I'm sorry to be one of those people, but I'll be quick about it. And I'll tell you that, you know, we got it in Ireland. It was over here in the 90s. I used to watch it and I don't want to make you feel old, but I used to watch it when I came home from high school, as you would call it, you know. <laughs> but it's funny when I look back now, it didn't occur to me that this was a primetime show with an all african-american cast you know uh and it's only now that we've woken up to use the parlance of the day that you that you realize that i certainly didn't see that as a teenager i just thought it was damn funny with a brilliant sig right. tune when you were in the middle of that and, and you were younger then as well did you guys have a sense that this is really important or were you just kids making a tv show and it was like this is great we're on tv i think there you know there was this, this large cast and so i think different people had different ideas of what was going on I was probably more in the camp of like we're having a great time you mm. know we're having a good time it's funny um you know the Cosby show was happening and that was a that was while it was a comedy it still had there was like a serious more serious thing to um bringing um a black upper middle class family into people's living rooms mm. and we were never top show he was the, they were the top number one show for a long time we were never number one but we were this show that was kind of a little bit poking almost poking fun at that thing yeah, because we were taking yeah. it a step further and we had all these wacky characters but really what was great and i didn't i took me years you know later to see how important all of this was was that we had for one we had a cast of so many different kinds of characters which was great it's an all-black cast but all these black folks are different Everybody, you know, you've got Jeffrey, who's British, mm. right? The butler. You've got <laughs> Carlton, who's a black Republican. Yeah. You know, you've got Will from Philly and Hillary and her thing. And then Ashley, yeah. who's far more grounded and together and kind of coming up into this world. And, you know, then you've got the lawyer, judge, uh, father and the mother and all her background, you know, just as an educator, but as a dancer and all of these, all these different characters. Um, and different kind, different kinds of people, which I think for Black people was really refreshing because it wasn't just this kind of monolithic um, thing, you know, where everyone kind of thinks and goes mm, the same way. Sure, everyone is very different, and that was nice to see and to have uh, to to be able to kind of take in. But it was also with all of that humor, we were able to make you know people were able to crack up and then be wide open for some serious messaging stuff mm. too there was some se more serious shows and more serious moments that were able to land because i think the audiences really trusted this family and were having such a they were so open and having such a good time and then you could like mm. you could have will's father you know come and to his life again 
and then abandon him again. And the audience could feel the weight of that and the um, and deal with that issue, you know, yeah. and other and so many other things. Well, listen, just to get back to you then finally, you know, after Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you've done all sorts of things. You've acted in TV shows, movies. You're in this movie directed by your husband, Sweet Tooth, which will be available in Ireland on the 10th of September. Important sweet thing, say that. sweet thing. Sweet, sweet thing. thing. I said Sweet Tooth. Sorry, that's a whole that's other okay. Netflix show. Sweet thing. Let's be very clear about that. <laughs> But I was, again, reading more about you. You've become a, a children's author, an author. And one of the projects that really interests me is your, I think it's called Sweet Blackberry. And you're yeah. writing about historical black figures that people might not know about for children specifically or just for all of us. Well, it's for children. It was it's geared toward children, but the, but everyone seems to lean in. The older siblings, the parents all mm. lean in because the content is content that they're curious about and don't know about and subjects and achievements they haven't heard about. And so, yeah, I'm, so with Sweet Blackberry, we're bringing these little known stories, as you said, to kids, but also to their families. Mm. And, um, and it's been a really fulfilling, a really gratifying experience. I learn a lot, but it's really, it's been really great. I get to go around to schools around the country and tell the story i mean and show the stories and talk about them with the kids as well as now we have picture books okay too. and then i suppose just finally like i was going through all you've done there you're having a great career it seems with, with all you're doing do you feel like you are you're getting a lot of different types of work you're able to write books you're able to be in movies and tv shows <laughs> is it is it a good time to be you it's a good time to me. It's, it's been a good time to me. I've been, to be me. I've been very, very, very fortunate. I mean, I've had, I met Alex. I had incredible children. I had the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and all of the beautiful, the, the fact that I did a show so many years ago and all these years later, um, generation after generation keep discovering the show and saying, mm -hmm. that's my favorite show. That's pretty incredible. And to be a part of that, I feel truly honored um, th that I'm writing now is this something I've wanted to do for such a long time is a dream come true. Mm -hmm. um, I'm writing, I had a novel come out a couple of years ago called How High the Moon and I have, I'm working on a new one right now. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's good right now. Things are, it's, you know, it's not all like, you know, uh, Hillary Banks kind of living on the high hog type of life, you know, <laughs> no, but no, I think I this is a little richer. <laughs> Mine's a little richer. <laughs> Well, Sweet Thing, new movie that is on general release and digital release in Ireland and indeed the UK on the 10th of September. And it was lovely to talk to you, Karen. Thanks a million. You too. Thank you very much. Karen Parsons there talking to me about her new movie, Sweet Thing. And of course, everything else she's done, including playing Hilary Banks in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That is it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out. Next week on the show, we've got a doozy. I am in essence bringing you a Soprano special. The Many Saints of Newark will be released the following week. And I am going to be talking to the Sopranos creator, David Chase. I'm going to be talking to the son of the late, great James Gandolfini, Michael Gandolfini. I'm going to be talking to all sorts of the cast from the new movie, The Many Saints of Newark. So you won't want to miss that if you are a Sopranos fan. All that's next week. In the meantime, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your weekend.